welcome into the Draft Report Podcast. I'm Jack Borowski, joined here alongside my co-host Sam Keith. On this episode, we discuss Dave Brugler's Mock Draft 1.0, recap each conference championship game, discuss where we're at with the quarterback race, who are the biggest risers from the week, before finishing off the episode with the top prospects we've watched recently. So Sam, before we get into this conference championship talk, Dave Brugler... Uh, as good of a job uh, in terms of watching film, you know, having trusted sources within the league. Every year, you know, there's five to ten players who people had no idea about who Brugler brings them, you know, to the forefront and, and, and gives them a lot of attention, which is, allows us to, hey, this player who maybe we didn't really know much about, he's got a shot to be a first round pick, or this player who is a projected top ten prospect. Maybe he's not that. I think he and Daniel Jeremiah do the best job of kind of revealing where the NFL sees players because I, I think Kuiper does a good, a solid job during the season of gathering information and putting out rankings, but he doesn't do the same work that they do. So their gauge is just going to be better. So it's always really important when Dane Brugler releases a mock draft. And I, I think what I can conclude from it is, you know, that. The offensive linemen are going to go. I just don't know what order, and I don't know how I feel about the order that they were put in. Granted, you know, things change a lot. But, yeah, offensive linemen went. You know, the receiver class is good. Cornerback, we talked about it last week, interesting order he had and just, you know, the lack of, you know, numbers and just in in general. Quarterback-wise, you know, we talk about it every week. Like, is it going to be, you know, you set the line at two and a half or do you set the line at three and a half? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. And so, um, and then, you know, obviously like tight ends and running backs, you know, we're only going to see Bowers between the two position groups. So just your main takeaways from Dane Brugler's mock draft 1.0. Yeah, he's been pretty high on Quinn Mitchell off from Toledo. He had him ranked, I think, in the top, Definitely in the top 40. I don't know exactly how high, but he's in the, the mid to low 30s, I believe, in his top 50 recently. And now he has him going 31 to Baltimore in this mock. I watched the Toledo game versus Miami, Ohio a little bit yesterday just for Quinnell Mitchell. And I did see that his two pass breakups in that game. The physical tools are all there for him. It's just going to be the knock that he hasn't played a lot of great teams. Uh, but he certainly seems to be pretty high on him. So that's maybe a name to watch as we get closer to the pre-draft process and see how NFL teams respond to that type of player. Because uh, it certainly seems like Brogler thinks he's going to go in the first round based on what we've seen so far. Uh, also looking into this, I think it's close to consensus now that Wiggins has locked up cornerback one. I think most people I've seen, they're all saying, oh, well, there's going to be a lot of mixed opinions on the cornerback class. But yet all of them have Nate Wiggins number one. So for all these mixed opinions, I've just seen Nate Wiggins be CB1 for just everyone so far in the past two weeks or so. So I think most people before the pre-draft process are going to see him being corner one. And I don't know that we're going to see anything from him uh, throughout the process to really change that. He's going to run well. He's going to come in and measure well. He's going to test well. I don't think he's going to play in an all-star game. So he's just going to be kind of holding serve. And I think he will be corner one in this draft class. And then, like you said, the offensive lineman going early and often. The name I think we were both surprised that wasn't in the first round was Jordan Morgan. And he did have him going to the Carolina Panthers in like the second round as a way just to highlight him and highlight a way that the Panthers could get better. Uh, But I think we both looking at this believe he's a first round caliber player over a couple of the guys 
that Brugler picked in the first round. Uh, for me personally, I would have him over guys like Patrick Paul, who we had in the first round, Graham Barn, who I know is more of like a guard slash center versus an actual tackle, and Troy uh, Fontenot, who who plays for Washington, who had a really good game against Oregon, even though he had two bad reps against Brandon Dorless, but uh, he had him going in the first round as well. I would probably take Morgan over all three of those guys, but I can understand the appeal with some of them. Correct me if I'm wrong. So do the the Bears don't have their second round pick. So right? So the Panthers second rounders just pick 33. I'm pretty sure. Uh give me give me a second I can check on. Cuz if it if they if you know cuz highlighting him to the Panthers, they're the worst team in the league right now, so they're the first pick. Granted the the Bears have it for this year. But I, I wonder if they also had their second round pick. I, I can't remember. I know they had it last year just because that would mean he's 33. So he's right there. I wonder if that's why he wanted to put him there. But yeah, the Bears do not have their second round okay. pick this year. So he's 33. So when you look at how the, in, not, not to go too far into it, but when you look at how I think the offensive line group, I think Fuaga is going to go higher than. You know, 30. I think he's got a chance to probably go top 20 the based off the way he's played. Yeah, I just wonder with the, you know, with, with Patrick Paul, um, you know, Kingsley, with even like, all right, Jordan Morgan is forced to kick inside. Would you take him as a guard over Baltano or Graham Barton? Over Graham Barton, yes, because I think Barton at this point for me is more of a center than a guard. Uh, but no, I'm willing to have the conversation. I think it's it's closer there. I think they're a little bit different players. I think Fontenot creates more movement in the run game than Morgan will, but I think Morgan's going to be better in pass protection, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and you see the comps to Matthew Bergeron for Jordan Morgan. I think he is a tier of one or two tiers above him in terms of your know, athleticism and just you know his overall range I think is better. Uh, I, I just think people forget he's like nine, ten months off an ACL coming back. And, you know, there there are these select few reps he's lost. But like, watch him against Leatu Latu. He wins every single one of those reps. And Leatu is considered the best pass rusher or second best pass rusher in the draft. So you have that. And then, uh, yeah, I just was stunned like Graham Barton over him. I, I don't think there's any position. Like throw Jordan Morgan in at center, I'd, I'd take him over Graham Barton. Now, I, I, I just I don't see anything he does better than him. I think people, as you going back, and we're talking about Jared Verson a little bit. There's like one or two reps that game that people have highlighted like crazy about Graham Barton winning. But if you watch the film, Graham Barton looked like similar to what Jared Verse has done the last few weeks uh, against some of these offensive tackles. He just didn't convert them to sacks. And if you don't like. If you don't convert him to sacks, the plays did not happen. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that I, yeah. I I don't see. I mean, he was ragdolling him. Yeah, I think people people forget what a win is on a one-on-one situation like that. A win for a defensive lineman is just beating the offensive lineman in a timely fashion. Now the ball might come out in 1.5 seconds, and you might not have a chance to really get a pressure or a sack on a play. But that being said, after 1.5 seconds, if you're past the offensive tackle and just not close enough to register pressure, it's still a win for you as a defender. So I think that's why you need to watch tape. You will never see that come up in a statistical breakdown. You won't see it certainly on ESPN. You won't see it even on a place like PFF because the ball comes out so quickly. 
So you, it is important to watch tape and to see those reps. And and we all know like the the highlight reels you see on Twitter, they're really cool. Like I enjoy seeing those things come across my timeline, but they don't provide an accurate picture because you're pulling one or two plays, uh, potentially 50 or 60 offensive plays in the game to show. So it's not it's not really good at uh, giving you the full context of the battle. No, so I, I think yeah, I I think Bart. You know, I've never been super high uh, on Barton. I think he's definitely improved this season, but I I, I didn't even see clo- like like first round consideration at all. I mean, I, I guess if you want, like, we need a center. But that's still, yeah, we'll see how he does at the season. But that's still a projection for a position that, you know, I know Tyler Linderbaum was on the smaller side. It it takes a lot to get into the first round. He was the 25th pick in the draft, considered one of the best center prospects. So, like, to to convert him from left tackle to center and just take him in the first round, there's a lot of risk involved in that. He's never played the position before. Fine to do in the second round. You know, you're just the amount of quality players drops off significantly. But to invest that high of a draft pick in him at center, that would concern me. Yeah, the Patrick Paul, um, you know, him to the Chiefs, that I don't hate it. I just would like it more in the second round. I just There's just some things that, you know, make you worry about just, you know, there's, there's concern on his tape. He looks unbelievable in some games, but against the tougher opponents this year, you saw a little bit more of what you saw on film last year. Yeah, I would be worried about that pick for the Kansas City just because you can't afford to miss on a first-round pick this time. You in the past could take Clyde Edwards to learn in the first round and not care. This time you can't because you're starting to show cracks in the armor. Uh, and, and Joe Burrow will be back there. will be back next year. So supposedly the Bengals will be better next year. The Bills are having a down year. They'll probably be better next year, though. Uh, and you have to be a little bit worried about that. You don't have wide receiver help. This is a really good wide receiver class. I would rather take a shot at getting like a true wide receiver two at the end of the first round of the NFL draft rather than take a shot on Patrick Paul because I don't feel confident in Patrick Paul being or having a decent enough floor where he could be a starting player. I feel like you could take a wide receiver there and have a good shot getting guys going to produce at least 750 yards a year. And that's not great for a first-round pick, but it's good enough considering what your wide receiver room looks like right now. Uh, so I think that that Patrick Paul pick is potentially have a lot of volatility. So I would be nervous about that one. And going back to Graham Barton, uh, he did play center his like freshman year at Duke back in oh, 2020. Yeah, that is true. I did forget that. We're he three years removed from Yeah, we're three years removed from that. He hasn't played center in three years. Not a single snap at center. So, And when he played, he wasn't particularly great. At center, so I think you're you're talking about a lot of transition. He's never played guard before at any point. That's the position he's never played. So if you're talking about changing him to a role he's never played in his career in college. That's tough to stomach. And if you're going back to center again, a role he hasn't played in three years at all. Yeah. So I, I just think that's when when you can pick a player who's naturally at the position or a player who's played. I don't know, like even like Morgan or Fontenot has played really well at at tackle and look the part like look like people are talking about they could stick a tackle in the NFL or let's try a tackle I'd rather have that guy versus a guy in Barton who everyone knows can't play tackle in the NFL and might have to play a role he hasn't played in either three years or has never played in his career with yeah with with Morgan you know he's got 34 in charms with Fautino he's got I think over 35 you know Grand Barton's got 32 and I think 5 8 in charms and you know the fit to Dallas right then you're going to be forced to move 
Tyler Smith back out to left tack when he was an all pro. It's just, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and right, this isn't like a, a knock on Dane's mock at all, just more like talking points of he's hearing this about Graham Martin. He's not throwing him in there because he just, uh, you know, I, I like Graham Barton's film enough. Let me just put him in the first round. He's here in first round, but it's more knock on the NFL and that they're putting him that high. I think, you know, uh, having both JTT and Emeka Ibuka, I, you know, I don't know if Emeka comes out. I think, you know, I, I just don't know with the film he's put together. The injury really has impacted it this his film this season. I think that's the hard thing. Um, I just think more from a draft perspective, I wouldn't, you know, if I'm Jacksonville at 28, do I really want to take um, him at wide receiver? You know, it'll be interesting because there's just so many good receivers. It's just after, you know, like neighbors and Odunze, like, is it worth it to take Keon Coleman in the first round, you know, or pick, you know, 16, you know, is it worth it to do that? I wonder if we see like, the three like uh, neighbors, Rome, Marvin Harrison Jr. go off in the first like 10 to 12 picks and then a little bit of just drop off because at what point is it worth it to take the next guy? Because wide receiver 11 is just as good as wide receiver four. And then, you know, it's it's that's just my question of receivers, and then I just I just don't understand the first round hype with JTT. I know he looks the part, but that's like kind of it outside of a couple reps against yeah Olu Fashano. Like that that's really all he's got. Uh, you just watch any other film, like give me something that shows he's a first round pick. And I don't see anything. Uh, I think he'd actually benefit from going back to school. Yeah, you wipe out the two Penn State games. Just take out two games from his entire career. And we're talking about a third-round pick. We're not talking about a first-round guy. Right. So I, I think it's kind of been way overhyped, in my opinion. He'll probably go in the second round. Uh, but I don't think he's a first-round caliber player. And for Jacksonville, the Ibuka pick does not make really any sense to me at all. Uh, they want to play Christian Kirk in the slot. That's where he's the best player. He's the best version of himself working out of the slot. And Ibuka has to be a slot receiver in the NFL. So you're talking about now you're forcing Christian Kirk to play on the outside. And I know Kirk kind of wants to play out there a little bit because you get a little more money playing that role, but it's just not his best position. It doesn't put you in the best position to win football games. So I think that pick doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, my <laughs> my ideal outcome would be he goes back to school. Ohio State gives Cameron Ward $3 million and Cameron Ward comes plays at Ohio State. That'd be my ideal situation. Uh, maybe asking for a little bit too much there, but I don't think for Jacksonville, it makes a ton of sense to, for that to be the pick. Uh, that late in the draft. I just don't think it makes a ton of sense for the body type the need and the kind of player looking for it. And especially, like, we'll, we'll talk about these guys in a minute, but some of the wide receivers that are left off this mock draft are really, really good. They're really like first-round caliber talents. So I think you can't really... I, I don't think you can make that draft pick based on the way the roster is composed right now. I agree. Yeah, it, it's tough. But again, probably most likely hearing late first round put them in. I, I wonder with Quinion Mitchell... Will a team take a Toledo cornerback in the first round? I think, it, like, as long as he he has to play well at the senior bowl, and then if he runs well, I think that's the key because he does run in the four threes, which is what he's expected to. Yeah, but he's a guy we talked about a lot. It's just who's going to pull the trigger on the Mac cornerback. But we've seen Mac prospects go late round one in the past. It's just you know, um, I, I, you you wonder if someone's going to you know bite the bullet this year. I just, it just it's just so weak after you know. You know, he's got Terry and Arnold in the top 15. Kool-Aid afterwards. You know, we talk about Wiggins being corner one. It's just, 
I think the real value in the corner class is on day two. I, I just don't know if it's there in the first round. Uh, and, and so I could see Wiggins being overdrafted. I could see the Alabama corners being overdrafted. And then afterwards, who's the fourth one? Because we see four or five go every year. You know, te- testing will determine a lot, 40 times do with cornerback. So we'll see there. But uh, other things I thought were interesting, you know, Jaden Daniels in the top 10. Um, he and then uh, the edge class, Dallas Turner being the first off the board at number 10. I think the tough part was like with Leatu Latu, just figuring out the injury history, but just those two in the top 10 feels rich to me just based off what I've seen from their film. Yeah, I wouldn't take Jane Daniels in the top 10. I haven't graded out as more like a late second to early third round pick. Uh, of course, positional value, he'll get elevated if if as many guys go back to school as we think will, he'll probably be a first-round pick, and he's probably going to win the Heisman as well. Uh, so that makes things a lot simpler. But not again, not a top-ten pick, in my opinion. Brugler's been high on the Alabama guys the whole way, so it doesn't shock me that he's got Dallas Turner at 10, and he's got Latham going a little bit higher at right at 9. Latham's been very good this year. I think Turner's been okay, but not top-ten worthy. Uh, but he's he's like these guys the entire way, so it hasn't really shocked me. That's wherever they, they landed on this mock draft. Uh, Amarius Mims going 16 to Buffalo. I mean, that'd be great for the Bills. I would love that for them. It's just a shame he got hurt yesterday during the championship game and only played like 12 or 11 snaps. They were all good snaps, but he only played about a dozen snaps in, in, in the game, which is, I mean, he might not play in the college football playoff with how this could work out. This is We're recording this before the official uh, playoff teams are decided. And it would be such a disappointment for him not to get like one really good quality game out here. I mean, he might have to go back to school. I would still take him in the first round, but I don't know how the NFL will process him. He, yeah, I, I, I don't know either. It would be a lot easier and helpful if he did go back to school, but I don't know if he will or really. <laughs> I mean, should he, you know, in terms of just experience? Yes, but. With those measurables, like I don't know if it really matters. He's gonna be the if he does declare, I think he's got a chance to be the biggest steal in the first round wherever he goes. Because we were talking about him as OT one before the season. I still nothing has changed. He's just been hurt this year, and you know the tape has not been as good. But I just think that's a product of being hurt, playing not at a hundred percent just not having a ton of experience. But by year three in the NFL, we could be talking about, you know, the best right or left tackle in the NFL, depending on where he, like he's that kind of physically gifted. So, uh, yeah, I I do wonder where he ends up going. I I think Guyton as well. I I think his issues are less on the field, but I, I wonder how high in the first round he'll end up. Same with Fuaga. Kingsley at BYU starting to gain late buzz. I still view him more as a second round prospect than a first, but I could see depending on how well he tests him going there. Yeah. And then, you know, quarterback class, Jane and Daniels, I just think owners eventually get involved in the process and you don't see an owner. being like He's running for 200 yards a game. He, his accuracy's, you know, you know, that the highlight reel plays are awesome. Uh, and he won the Heisman. Why aren't we taking him? We need a court. Like, we had Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. Ta- let's take Jalen Daniels, you know, at pick eight, pick seven, you know? So, um, main take, yeah, I, I don't think there was anyone 
he left off then on how could he have? You're putting Jordan Morgan 33, kind of you know solves that issue, right? He's right there. He you go run in the four nines and then play well at the Senior Bowl and then you get back into the picture. So right, like I think that. And then you know I know you know with we're viewing Cooper DeGene more as a safety than a cornerback. He was included as well. If you want to put him at cornerback, he would have been cornerback four. So depending on where he plays, but uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll see there. But, you know, I'm glad he had him. I was surprised he had him as low as he did. I know the injury impacts things, but to me, he's a, a top 20 prospect. I know I'm a little higher on him. But, the, yeah, main takeaway is always great uh, to hear what he had to say. But, yeah, that, 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 that's what I, I, I came with. Like, no one crazy either way. I'm um, just surprised a little bit with the tackle order. A couple of Ohio State guys included in there late and uh yeah quarterback going seventh yeah it was an interesting mock i think we've got some good insight out of it but i do think that it's going to shake up a little bit here we might see mckinstry fall a little bit we're going to see verse i mean dane 10 minutes ago just tweeted out the clips of uh verse running over the florida tackle and the louisville tackle on the l22 version I think we're going to get to see verse go up a little bit after the past two weeks. I think that we're still going to see some shifts here. Even before we get into like the full combine senior bowl stuff, we're still going to see some players go up and down. But I do think this was good. Good exercise by him to give us a little bit of an idea of where NFL teams are these players. No, exactly. So Dane Brugler's mock draft. Check it out on The Athletic. Always good insight. So now conference championship talk. We're going to go. We'll start with Friday's game washington oregon it was how much is oregon going to win this game by and then they were down 20 to 3 and ended up losing the game uh i think there was i i think we got to see how like general casual fans how overrated michael Penix and bonix are to them uh these are both i think at the i think there's a shot nicks goes in the second round i don't think his tape has warranted it i think they're both third round prospects at the best. Uh, Penix did have a bounce back game because he had a stretch there where he looked like he was a clear day three pick. Uh, so to see him rebound against Oregon was, was, was good to see. The receiver, Jalen Polk, came to play. Uh, I thought, you know, after having a couple games with some really bad drops, you know, Odunze and McMillan, and they're they're good as well. So to see the three of them, Dylan Johnson at running back, uh, I thought was pretty spectacular. Uh, the one prospect that I wanted to highlight, and then you know, we'll, we'll talk about the games after we highlight the two guys, is you know we mentioned them before, Troy Fontenot. Uh, less, more, I just, on both sides, I couldn't find a ton of guys. Uh, the guy that you're about to highlight, uh, I thought played really well. Um, more that... I think the overall season he's had, he's been really, really consistent, uh, especially just in, in big time matchups. I, I, I found that he he has played really well, and just with Troy Fontenot in general, I, I think he's risen to the point where we're looking at you know a, a top fifty pick. I just don't see it at tackle at all, and I just is he a first round caliber guard? And that's going to be the question that hopefully we get answered at the scene. But right. You mentioned it. You know, he had a couple, couple rough refs in there. Um, but I thought for the most part, he was actually, you know, really solid and has been all year. I just don't know if I'd feel comfortable taking him in the top 32, which it seems like 
he's going at this point. Yeah, he had a couple of really good reps in the run game, and you also see the mobility and the range he has in pass protection throughout the course of that game. The issue is that when he got matched against Brandon Dorless, uh, the speed, the power, even just the pure power Dorless has was too much for him to handle. Like Grand Dorless is a bit of a combo player who's played along the interior, who's played along the edge. He's he's a kind of a rare player within college football, I'll say. But that being said, there's more guys in the NFL that have that kind of power than there are in college football. So you're going to see that more often on a weekly basis. Uh, and Dorless got him twice pretty pretty good. So I think that we're going to play him at guard. I don't think he's going to play tackle in the NFL. But I do think he had a really good game. You saw that as a run blocker and the range of mobility he had in pass pro. Uh, so good player highlight for you. Uh, for me, I was between three guys. I thought maybe Kyrie Jackson, who had that that drop interception early on, but then he came back and had a really good game the rest of the way. I know he's kind of a little banged up at times. He's been hurt down the stretch here in the season. Uh, speaking of hurt, McMillan was really good in this game. This is the first time we really saw all of their pass catchers and all their true weapons healthy. We've been waiting on that those guys to get all healthy and play together, and they looked fantastic. Uh, McMillan had a really good game. The guy I wanted to highlight is the player who I've loved throughout the course of this year. That's a Johnny Cornelius, the Rhode Island transfer, who's playing right tackle for Oregon. Uh, I thought that Oregon's offensive line, and frankly, even their defensive line, was not as strong as I was hoping they would be in this game. They got pushed around the trenches more than I thought they would. Uh, but Cornelius, and I think also Jackson Powers Johnson, the center for them, uh, were two of their most consistent players on offense in general. Cornelius, I don't think he had a lot of pressure the entire game. And I went back and watched some of the plays today. And looking through that game, I think you see the power he has to anchor because he is built well. Uh, there's a thought he might play guard in the NFL. He's got the body to kind of do either one of them, frankly. Uh, but yeah, he, he's got power to anchor well. He's got a nice thick frame. You can't really bull rush through him. And he's got enough mobility and range and pass pro where you can't really win up the arc on him. He didn't have too many reps matched against Braylon Trice, which is what we were kind of hoping for. Uh, but because he is the better player, they didn't put Trace on his side. They gave him ZTF, and he dominated ZTF in this game. I think going back to the original Washington game, Cornelius played really well, but he had some false start penalties, I want to say. He had a couple, he had like two or three penalties in that game. No penalties today. Completely clean sheet for him. Uh, so I, I think that he played phenomenal in this game. He'll probably go back to school. But if he came out, I, I would still value this guy as a top 100 pick at either guard or tackle. Do you think going back, he's got a shot to be a first rounder or the second round is his ceiling? I think the second round is his ceiling, honestly, because I do think he will get some of the guard tackle, what position will he play kind of stuff. I, I don't know that he can get much better. I mean, he was dominant at Rhode Island. We saw him play well against Pitt. He was really good this year. The only thing he can do is clean up his penalties. If he cut it down from... He had 10 in 2022. He had nine this year. If he cuts that number down to, what, three? So he got three penalties, and he'll give up maybe 12 pressures and no sacks. I mean, he gave up 11 pressures and zero sacks this season. I don't know how much better you can get, really, in terms of performance. And he was impactful in the run game. And yeah, he had nine penalties, but most of them were like, like false starts. They weren't like holds or anything like that. You're not talking about 10, 15-yard penalties. You're talking about five-yard penalties. So I think that the penalty thing is, is the biggest thing you can clean up, in my opinion. And, and I don't know that that is going to elevate you from being uh player number player number 60 or so to player number 32. I don't think it's going to happen. So I, I think he would just, he can stay in school if he gets a good NIL deal, but frankly coming out right now, I don't, they're going to get much better over the course of an early season in college football. Yeah, no, I, I if there's certain times like, yeah, hand placement, you'd like to see that it'll be a little better. You can always get stronger. 
but I think it goes back to you could you know, you can prove all those and be a successful player in the NFL and be one year closer to a second contract. But you know, guys do go back to school, and we'll see. I'd assume I'd be pretty stunned if he declared, but you, you never know. So we'll see. But yeah, both the offensive linemen did well. Just any other things that you like for me personally, I think this was the best Washington has looked since the first Oregon game. Uh, I think now people are starting to say, I think there's a shot Washington wins at all. I still think you have to remember how they've looked for the majority of the season. And I, I just, I don't know, you know, if they're playing a team like Texas, they're playing a team like Michigan. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot tougher than any, I think Oregon may have been a little overrated. And I think the takeaway, I just, I just don't see it at all with Bo Nix as this late round one or round two quarterback. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't draft him in general just because of what I think about his ability to process things and handle pressure against good teams. We've seen it. I know guys can change, but also tell me when, he, right? Like against, Washington, well, you know, the offensive line did really well. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel like they had many negative plays. We talked about a Johnny Cornelius clean sheet, <laughs> you know, having that from one of your tackles against the best pass rush duo you face all year. Like, that's just, it's, it, it's just very easy for him. So I'm totally out on Bo Nix. I think, you know, Washington's a good team. I think they can win their first game, but I don't think they're a national championship winning team. Granted, Kalen DeVore's proved me wrong before. Yeah, they, they could win that championship just because they tend to get hot when they need to and they tend to figure things out. I think that's the way they were talking about Georgia during the Georgia-Alabama game. They're like, oh, they've been here before. They'll figure it out. And they never, never did. Washington actually has. I think they could potentially win a, win a championship here, even if they're not the most complete team overall. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my main takeaways from that game. I know we got a couple more lined up here. The game that had, happened in the earlier window Texas versus Oklahoma State. Uh, not as competitive as as Washington versus Oregon. Uh, more one-sided overall. And you got into the sheet before I did, and you took the player I wanted to talk about. But uh, no, I think I think we both have similar thoughts here on the player that stood out the most to us. So I'll let you lead the way here with this one. Yeah, A.D. Mitchell. You know, I'm not going to keep it a secret. You went with Xavier Worthy. I was debating whether, which wide receiver to put. You know, I think if Quinn Ewers didn't have that interception, he had an argument. Uh, and then Tavondre Sweat catching the touchdown, uh, I thought, was, was pretty cool. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, give him a month to prepare to play Washington, and he's going to do the same. I, I don't know if anything will be different than the Oklahoma State game, right? Like This is an incredibly impressive head coach and play caller. And it does help when you have Jatavian Sanders, two unbelievable wide receivers, Jordan Whittington, your wide receiver three, you know, a solid run game that I think was impressive. And then a good offensive line. Like you could do a lot of this. Uh, so I thought he would, he did really well. Yeah. A.D. Mitchell. He's a first round caliber player. I, I think he's still raw. He's got such a high ceiling. We talk about the George Pickens comps. He's a much, I think, a better prospect than Pickens was. Pickens may be better at the one thing he's special at, but I think as an overall prospect, that AD Mitchell has been phenomenal. Just watching some cornerbacks film, going over some 2025 guys, 
Like his release package at the line of scrimmage, it's just it's mind blowing at that size. You know his ability to get in and out of breaks. I you just that you know there's a there's some things that definitely you you could argue he needs to work on. But I just think the blueprint is there for him. If you told me he's the second best receiver in this draft, I would say yeah, I believe you. I think that's the kind of you know talent he is. It's just doesn't show up every week. You know you. I think that Worthy has definitely been their go-to weapon. Granted, he's better at, at the collegiate level. Um, but I just think the upside is really, really high with A.D. Mitchell. And I just don't see how... Right, We talk about Kansas City at, late in the first round. Like, you know, that's you know, different than some of these other prospects. Like, that's someone you take a shot on. Because if he hits in the way we think he could hit, you're looking at you know a top ten receiver in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Like that's how special that could be. Where I don't think anyone else could provide that. I, I don't. I don't know. Right. Like where does he end up going? But I, I can't see a team in the back end who's got the infrastructure in place not taking him. Yeah, he is super special because of the size he has and the length he has. Plus, his route running has gotten really better this year. You watch some of the routes he runs this season, including the one that allowed for the big play uh, against Oklahoma State. He is just such a really gifted route runner that size. I don't know if you get that from him every single play, but you get that two or three times a game where you're just going to get open. You're going to produce a 50-yard play then or a touchdown, then I'm willing to take a shot on that because he is a really gifted route runner. You watch, I think it was a a whip route. I think he ran against TCU on. A t- didn't, he didn't get the touchdown, but it was cl- just a bad pass, I believe, or a missed opportunity. But his route running is insane for a player with that size. I don't think you're going to see a player who runs better routes at six foot four, whatever he is. I mean, it's crazy how he moves that size. And even our players, we got a lot of large players in this class who have decent speed. Well, like Troy Franklin doesn't run like this. Roman Dunes doesn't run like this. Keon Coleman might be the closest thing, but I don't think he runs routes like this. No. He's better after the catch in terms of his ability to be shifty, but doesn't run routes the way that Donnie Mitchell does. So I, I think that's where I draw a line. I would take him in the first round. He's going to be a top 20 player for me, potentially, at least top 25. So I, I definitely think he's worth a first round pick. And you quickly you go back to that DCU game, you know, Quinn Ewers on that game clinching throw down the sideline where AD Mitchell just beats the corner and his ability, you know, because Quinn underthrew it a little bit to come back to the ball, the body control he possesses at that side. It's very George Pickens like, <laughs> but you know, it is. And just to, <laughs> to adjust to a pass that was completely underthrown at six foot four, I had never seen a wide receiver outside of Pickens be able to do that. Yeah, I think there are times too where you know he's had plays, you know, just you know Quinn and him, they finding their timing has tri- been everything, and I think that's sometimes been the problem. But you know he was able to complete a deep pass to him. But you know if he just leads him a little bit more, I think there's a couple touchdowns in the if they do play Washington, I think that they'll, they'll be able to get. It's just I think it comes down to Quinn hitting him on the deep ball because he's open a lot. Well, yeah, and you make the comp pickings. I think that Mitchell gets open more often. Like, there's yes. real separation there, not just with speed and his athletic traits, but also with the route running. He's fast. You though. don't really get that from Pickens. Yeah, he's faster too. Like, there's a lot. To, like, I think Pickens is still probably better at the catch point. Yeah, just because <laughs> Pickens does some really ridiculous stuff. But uh, Mitchell, I think, still has the better athletic profile and the better profile as a true wide receiver. So I, I think he should be a first round pick. Uh, to talk about worthy a little bit here before we move on, because I know we, we got to try to get through some of these games a little bit quicker. 
Uh, where they did go out in this game, they did come back with the walking boot. Supposedly, x-rays are negative, so he's going to be okay. Uh, but, yeah, there's some concern about durability at his size in the NFL. He's been healthy throughout most of this year, though. And I want to highlight him just because the, the sheer acceleration and speed he has, even at his size, no, he's lean, but having the acceleration he does to erase angles, not just of like linebacks, but also of defensive backs, to be able to truly just accelerate past guys and create a ton after the catch, be a vertical threat. And also some of the twitchiness he showcases as a route runner and ball carrier and return man. I don't know if he's going to be a first-round player because of the size concerns, but you look at players like Devontae Smith and now Tank Dell who had success. Well, Worthy is going to be faster than both those guys. He's going to be a better route runner than, than Tank Dell is probably. So I, I think he's going to be at least a second-round pick, in my opinion, just because you can't find guys like this is that often who are as productive as he is and as good a route runner as he is. Yeah, I... I, I I really wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Jeremiah's first mock draft has him like 19. And they're like, all right, now the NFL is okay with him being first-round pick at that size. Because I think that's just all it comes down to is our... And I, I know there you know some off-the-field concerns and everything, but just on the field, he's been pretty incredible. And so we'll see, right? And the size is really his only knock. Uh, you know, we know the type of player he is. That translates well. You talk about... Devonta Smith size, Tank Dell size, it doesn't seem to impact them at all. I, I'd honestly be surprised if he, I, I would never, I wouldn't take him in the first round, but I would be surprised if he didn't just with the way that teams are valuing wide receivers and the profile that he has is going to translate most likely. And he's incredibly fun to watch. Uh, so I, I honestly, I, I, I don't know. I, I think they both end up like being first round. It's just like how many receivers can go in the first round and does Worthy go ahead of Mitchell? But like I would take Mitchell 10 out of 10 times over Worthy, right? So it's like kind of weird. I think it comes down to similar to last year. Yeah, we never thought Jaden Reed and Rashi Rice were going to jump Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, and they did that. So yeah, I just think it comes down to preference. But I think there's going to be a team out there that just has Worthy like so high up on their board. It's like, we're getting him no matter what because he turns us from a playoff team into a Super Bowl contender with what he, he brings to the table. And so we'll see. But I think, you know, both played well, right? He's talking about durability. He did get hurt, but hopefully he is 100% when they play may, most, maybe, I don't know, Washington or Michigan and in, in the play. If they even make the playoff, who knows? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so Oklahoma State, Texas was a blowout. And they've got incredible weapons. And Steve Sarkeesian uh, called a really good game. Next. The game of the you know of the week, Alabama Georgia lived up to it. I, I wouldn't say like game wise was like this fun one to watch, but in, in terms of an upset, Nick Saban, who if you told me after that Texas game in week two they were an eight and four team, I would have said, "Wow, they only lost four games." No, but it just it felt like they were a team heading in the wrong direction. I, you know, going into the year, we were not high on Dallas Turner as this Will Anderson type of player. You lose Bryce Young, who's the first pick, and you lose Jameer Gibbs, who's the 12th pick. And who do you replace him with offensively? Jalen Milrow and a, like, a committee of running backs who aren't that good. So, you know, maybe Bryce Young was the problem all along. You know, all he needed was Bryce Young to leave and go to the NFL to regain his form as the best team in the SEC. No, but uh, yeah, just. You know, I'll start with my prospect. Uh, I went with Deontay Lawson. I don't really feel like I, I was thinking him or Dallas Turner. 
Dallas Turner had that one really good long arm move against Ernest Green, the sophomore left tackle for Georgia, converted that into a sack. Uh, I thought Lawson was flying all over the field. You see the sideline and sideline range, the athleticism. He hadn't had a great year. Um, but to show up against Georgia, uh, I think he did that. And a really weak linebacker class. I don't know if he comes out, especially if they don't make the playoff. I think that's the most interesting part of this game is who does Kirby and who does Nick Saban? Who do they get to come back to school? That We're saying, like, how did they do this? How did they pull off this guy who would have been a first-round pick to go back to school just because they didn't make the playoff? So we'll see, but I thought Lawson was... You know, really impressive. I thought he was the best linebacker in this game, which is saying something because there's a lot of really good ones. Made some key stops. Uh, had one on third down that I thought was like a pretty special play from him. Shows the kind of upside he has. Hasn't been consistent all year. I don't think anyone from this game really, really stood out or dominated, which usually tends to be the case when two top five teams in the country play each other. Yeah, I struggle with this. I really didn't know who to pick. And I saw you, you left this one blank until this morning as well. So did I, I didn't really know where to go with this. Even watching the game live. I, I do a Monday morning column every week talking about stock up, right? Like stock up players. There's not gonna be a player from this game. I think mentioned in the column just because it was such a weird game. Like not, not a bad game, but a weird game overall. I would say, especially with all the injuries to Georgia's key players. Uh, like JC Latham didn't have a phenomenal game for Alabama on the offense uh, and defensively. Like, yeah, Turner played well, but he played under 30 snaps defensively. He, it wasn't like he was on the field all the time. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry got hurt at some point. I, I almost said Trey Amos, the, the <laughs> corner came in to replace him because he did really well. And he's actually a veteran player, not like a new guy. Uh, he played really well, so shout out to him. But I actually went with uh, Tyke Smith, who had, I think, two defensive stops in the run game, or at least his assist on two defensive stops. Uh, didn't give a reception in this game. He's been really good throughout the course of this year. And and Georgia has three really good DB slash safety players with uh, Malachi Starks, who's not the most athletic in my opinion, but is is more of a powerful player who does have good ball skills. Then you got Javon Bullard, who's your classic kind of move safety. You can do some single high work with his range. And you got Tyke Smith, who works in the slot, and it's just a good overall defensive back. I thought he had a good game. It didn't really allow much in coverage. Uh, tough game for Starks. I think people have been projecting him to be like a top 10 pick or a top 15 pick next year. I don't know if I'm ever going to be there with that because I don't think he has the range and speed that maybe you want. We've seen a couple of games that I've watched with the course of his career where I feel like he's just not taking the right angle or just a step slow. Uh, I think that Tyke Smith, though, back after some a bad injury following his time at West Virginia has really played well this year. And in, in a deep nickel slash DB class, I don't know where he'll end up, but I, I would take him fourth round at a minimum oh no definitely and he was a guy at west virginia who i thought was really good it's just he never really has seen the field at georgia so now he has and ha- has done well i i just think overall from this game i, I think people are overrating these two teams like, this is the national championship or these two teams are the two best teams in the country how can you leave them out I know Georgia was banged up, and so you give them a month healthy, and they probably do win it all, right? Because Lad McConkey, Amarius Mims, and Brock Bowers are three of the best players in the entire country, and them at 100% probably wins it for you. But at their current state, I don't think either one is like, I know people say, and I, I talked about this before, they're like, this is a different Alabama team that needed a fourth and 31 conversion to beat Auburn last week. And I know it was a trap game. It was still Auburn, though. You know, 
And Georgia only beat Auburn by seven when they played. You know, it's just like, I, I, I don't know that this is like, how much of a different Alabama team is this? Or just Texas a very good team. Is Washington and like, are Washington and Oregon on the same level? The SEC just hasn't been that good this year. You know, Missouri's, the, you could argue, the third best team in the SEC. And you know, Missouri, I don't know how much has changed since last year, and they weren't very good. So I I just think the SEC is really overrated this year. Carson Beck didn't have a great game. Jalen Milrow, it's just, you, you never know what's going to happen when he drops back to pass. They've had a lot more confidence in him as a passer, I will say, because there were some third and threes, you know, where they, I was like, you run it twice with Milrow. Just QB power, QB power, and hope you get three yards. And they're throwing the ball. And it worked enough. Uh, I I just, I don't know if, like, yeah, I, I, you know, Texas plays down to their competition. So, you know, that impacts things in, you know, close games against TCU and some other teams where they needed to gut it out. But I, I don't think if they played again that, it, it would be this game where Alabama blows them out. Like I think people think or that they'd win by that it would be 34, 24, which is what Texas did to Alabama. I don't know if we'll ever get that again, but just in general that these two SEC SEC teams are just on another level. I don't know if they beat anyone outside of FSU, you know, who is in that conversation just because, you know, especially in their current States in Georgia, it's hard to say because everyone's hurt, but just from what I've seen, I, I think they're really overrated. Yeah, I think if you take away Miller's ability to scramble, which Georgia did not do at a great level, but if you were able to limit Miller's scrambling, I think Alabama's offense really does drop off a bit. And I think Georgia, Georgia, frankly, did not play over the top that well either, honestly, in terms of taking away the deep ball. Uh, they played poorly. Than, they played worse than the law, frankly. A lot of teams did defensively when playing against Milrow. So I was a little surprised by that. Uh, but I do think there's a way to beat Alabama's offense that we haven't truly seen come all the way out yet versus Georgia. Like we've seen bad games from Carson Beck this year. There's been games where Carson Beck has not been on point. And this offense has not run well. And that's, this is one of those games. So I think people, yeah, the injuries certainly, certainly played a role in it. I'm not saying they didn't, but I'm also not saying like, this is the first time that Georgia's offense has looked mediocre. Like this is not the first time they've struggled in the game. So I, I do think that, I come, it comes to this question now. We just assume Georgia was good because Georgia kept winning against mediocre teams they were playing, and they have been good the past two years. This is not the same Georgia team as the past two years. They do not have a bona fide first round pick on defense, unless I'm blanking on someone. But they don't have like that superstar right now. We're talking about their best potential, their best pick after Brock Bowers being a tackle who has played under under double digit starts or has double digit starts barely. Like that's their best play, second best player on offense right now. So I do think that they're not the team they've been. And I, I do think that's why they could be left out of the college football playoff. And, and for Bama, they've been better, but I don't think they're as dominant as they've been in other years. I think the teams come together and play better down the stretch here. But then again, like you said, they barely beat Auburn. Uh, Georgia barely beat Auburn. Georgia barely beat Georgia Tech for a while, for a while there. You know, it's it's been tough. It's been weird. And frankly, I have more confidence in the three teams that I think we both talked about previously being Washington, Texas, and Michigan. I feel better about those teams going forward than I do the SEC, which has a losing record in our conference games this year. <laughs> oh, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think you can 
sit here and say that, you know, this is a different Alabama team. Have they just played SEC? You know, Texas is good. Have they just played SEC teams, right? Like, like that's just been the difference. I, I think people also, it's skewed because they played U- USF in week three, but they didn't start Melrose and it was in the raid. Like, if they just started him and let him run, they'd probably win that game like 45 nothing, just running the ball. And I think people think differently, but I don't think this is a different Bama team. I just think that Texas... We saw it, you know, when they're on and Quinn Ewers is throwing the ball well, you have the best, you know, you have the best receiving core, tight end, you know, like you have as good as you get in terms of your weapons. Your line's good. You got Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, the best pass rush duo in the country from the interior. As you have some pretty incredible players. The secondary isn't great, but, uh, you know, that's not where Alabama necessarily, uh, you know, is going to beat you a ton. They're going to get some, a couple of shot plays, but they're not a consistent throwing team. You know, Milrow can't do it. Um, so, yeah, but I don't think either team necessarily should get in based off of resume. And I, I guess you could say Alabama deserves, but I could argue that, you know, they're the fourth team in and then they go and they, I think they'd lose to Michigan. Yeah, so we'll see. So but quickly, Michigan. Iowa thoughts, really? I just wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about Mikey Sandra still because this was, I, I don't think, people were preferring to watch Louisville play FSU, which we're going to talk about in a second, over this game. That's how, you know, stop with these divisions. They're awful. But, you know, the Big Ten uh, championship game. Thoughts on Mikey Sanders still and any other quick takeaways before we talk about FSU Louisville? Yeah, they used him a lot more blitzing packages the other night, and it really came through for them. He had three pressures in the game, along with a sack and a forced fumble deep in Iowa territory, which is good because Michigan wasn't really moving the ball on offense a lot. They needed some good field positioning, uh, and he helped them out with that, certainly forcing a fumble, and they recovered deep in Iowa territory. He had two forced fumbles in the game. Uh, he was the Big Ten Championship game MVP. I think we've talked about for a while. This guy is just small, but he hits above his weight. He hits above his weight easily. He's a very instinctive player. He's always around the football. I think you're finally starting to see it within the past two weeks. You've started seeing like more mainstream media people tweeting about him on social media and starting to recognize it. And previously, where like the clips would not get posted, now the clips are getting posted. It's starting to have like the general media is starting to know who this guy is. And I'm like, finally, I've been here for a year and a half waiting on this. But like, he's really coming into his own this year. And you're seeing him make the big plays on the big stage. I think he had a, a quality game against Ohio State, which was a question mark for him after last year. Uh, it's all going to come down to the size for him. And he does play. And he is a purely a nickel. He's not a safety. He's not a outside corner. He's just a slot corner. So some teams might not like that at his size. But I'm telling you, man, the instinctive play, the ball skills, he's just a playmaker. And some of those guys have that X factor. And you just know they're a good player. You just have to be willing to buy in and take the good player sometimes. I think he's one of those guys. No, five, five interceptions on the season will help. He was great last night. Yeah, no, wasn't an interesting or fun game at all. Michigan didn't. I love how I was over under for each half was half a point. They did not get it either half. Uh, I don't think that's like, yeah, Sanders still was, you know, part of it, but it just, it's just brutal football to watch. So Michigan gets in because you know, it's it's very helpful. They don't have to play Ohio State twice. So yeah, enough talk about that game. Next one, Louisville FSU. All star biggest riser, Jared Verse. Back to back week, speed to power, just driving the tackle into the quarterback. Fun reps to watch. 
we've always been, I guess we're much higher on him than the media is because they continue to want to tank his stock for no reason. But now that he's just converting those, you know, quarterback hits into sacks, like that's all that matters, right? It's like, just watch the film. They've been doing this all year. It just hasn't necessarily translated into sacks. Uh, but I thought he was great again. Uh, back-to-back weeks of him really up in the sack production if they make it into the playoff. And they're playing, you know, just say there's four, they're playing against Michigan, you know, Ladarius Henderson and Carson Barnhart. I, I, I could I could see Michigan just running it on every play, <laughs> you know, just against the, the, him and Patrick Payton. If he plays Washington to see him go against Troy Fountainow, that would be a fun matchup. And you talk about, you know, the power Brandon Dorless possesses, you know, Jared Verse is, you know, that could be a fun one to see him go up against him in the spotlight. So we'll see. He's been my edge one the whole time. He still is. Uh, you know, I, I really like Latu as well. I just think that, you know, what Verse brings is just going to translate so well. And he's done it on a week. To, he, you know, right. It hasn't been a 15 to 20 sack year that gets you into the top five. He's not six foot six, two hundred seventy pounds with thirty five inch arms. You know, he doesn't have the same production of Will Anderson. He doesn't have the you know the size of Tyree Wilson. But he's a better prospect to, to me than Lucas Van Ness, who went thirteenth. He's a better prospect than Will McDonald, Miles Murphy. Uh, you know, you could argue Murphy and him you know are are the closest, and Murphy went twenty eighth. So maybe that isn't super helpful. But uh, I, I think he is edge one. He showed it the last couple of weeks. I think people are coming back around to him as this top 20 pick. That's where he should be. Yeah, I, I just think speed to power, explosiveness that he possesses. He's developed into a really good run defender. He's a little bit on the tighter side. I think that's really his biggest knock and why he hasn't had the same production. But I think what he has done will translate to the next level. Really solid pass rush plan. Just if I need an edge rusher in the first round, he's the one I want this year. Yeah, I agree. I've loved his tape the whole way. I liked him last year. I liked him before we played a game for FSU, and they came out and had that monster outing against LSU on national television uh, in week one. I've been a huge fan of his. I think he's going to be, a, I think he should be a top 20 pick. I don't know if he's going to actually be that. Uh, I don't know if he has true edge one potential in the NFL, but I think he could be a high end edge two. I would say, based on his moves, because he does have a good arsenal pass rush moves. Like you mentioned, he's a little bit tighter, so I don't know how often he's gonna be able to win around the outside track. But the speed and power is there, the hand usage is there, the pure speed and get off to be able to win inside, to be able to beat tackles over set. I think that's all there for him. Uh, and people, yeah, people are knocking his production this year. It's true, his pass rush win rate is down a little bit but it's down like two percentage points and he still has the same counting stats as last year that was before they got into this game the only difference is that he had had a bunch of quarterback hits that had not turned into sacks this year compared to last year where he had fewer QB hits but more true sacks and that's just not I'd say it is impactful but it's not something that's predictive of poor play like it's not like he's playing poorly he's doing basically the same thing as he did last year it's that you're not seeing as many sacks and you didn't have a great, as great of game against uh, LSU to open the season. So I, I think that's a lot of what it is. But down the stretch here against Florida, against Louisville, when Florida State has lost their quarterback, 
he's been phenomenal and he's been their best defensive player. And he is going to be one of the three top edge rushers in this draft class and hopefully a top 20 pick. No, yeah, he and Latu to me, um, Latu just comes down to medicals. They're the, they're the two best in my opinion. But I mean, if you think about it, last year, he only had two quarterbacks hits. This year, he has 13. You know, sometimes you just get lucky in a turn, right? Like, some, yeah, you always want to convert to sacks, and they are so critical at the next level. I sometimes think they're undervalued because people focus so much on, you know, other factors. But I think in terms of when things, when you look at a player who doesn't have the production, why? Well, he's hit like his 13 quarterback hits this year. He had two last year. His sack production's the same. There's, it just hasn't, you know, sometimes quarterbacks get the ball out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the biggest problem here. You, can, I mean, he's, cr- I mean, the, 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 the Duke game crushed uh, Leonard and their backup quarterback a few times. They just got the ball out as he was doing it. You know, it's just luck in the draw. But yeah, uh, he's been great. As you said, you know, just hopefully he's a top 20 pick and, and we'll see. But really good player who had another good game and we're going to get a fun matchup for him in the playoff if they make it. Yeah, and then the other player I want to talk about, uh, Braden Fisk, interior defense lineman. Nagy's been tweeting about him for basically the entire year at this point. Uh, so I think he's been on the radar for a bunch of teams. I haven't spent a ton of time watching him, but you watched the tape last night. I know Jordan Reed just put out like a 35-minute All-22 clip of him, uh, or 35-second All-22 clip of him about two hours ago. And he was excellent in this game. Like you saw like the closing speed, the closing burst, and just the movement skills that size to... Win were phenomenal. There's a there's a run play where they're asking a lot out of their center to try to get him, but he just uses a nice, uh, nice like club swim and he's gone. He gets in the backfield for a tackle for loss. He also has a play where he's able to recognize it's a running back screen. He gets outside and makes the tackle for a short gain. He has similar play actually against Miami uh, the previous week. So he's had a couple of high IQ plays. We've seen the upside, the pure speed he has for a player of that size, the movement skills, and some of the suddenness as well. Uh, are all pretty impressive for him. And I know he he inverse benefited from each other a lot last night. They kept running uh, stunts with those two guys, and it's just productive every single time. Ellis, uh, Louisville, by the way, felt like they never adjusted that all the way up to the very end of the game. It felt like they were just running stunts with Verse and Fisk the entire time and getting big plays out of it. Uh, but you saw him really take over the game as well. He and Verse together. Where I would say the two best players on the field for Florida State. I know that the running back got the championship game MVP, but I would have been hard pressed not to give it to both these guys in the defense, frankly, for what they did to just shut down Louisville for most of the game. Uh, I thought he was phenomenal. I'm I'm excited to eventually get more of a deep look into his tape from the season, but he's been really good for them. And uh, looking at last night, like I could absolutely see, see see a team falling in love with this guy and taking him. In the third round, I don't know how high I would want to go with him. Probably not second round, uh, but because I think the arms might be shorter. But I, I think that I could see a team liking him as a top 120-ish player, top 130-ish player, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I, I thought early day three, watching his film from earlier in the year, the LSU and the Clemson tape, I would have said fourth at the highest. Um, but he's been really productive. You know, when you go through the film sometimes you can have other takeaways you know how much is it you know keying in on verse um you know how much you know, and i i haven't watched any of it you know i was i literally just watched jared verse the entire time uh so you know sometimes on those you know stunts you're just focused on verse and all of a sudden Braden fisk has him in the backfield so i didn't get a great gauge of it 
But yeah, he's been very productive down the stretch. I think, yeah, and you go back to stunts and twists, not to bring the conversation back to verse, but like he's incredibly effective on those. So, um, and they're used at such a high rate in the NFL for, for a lot of teams. So that's another plus that he brings. And he and Fisk have been a great, yeah, they should. I was, I, I hate that like conference championship, like MVPs, and they're giving him a trophy. It's like, that seems like a lot for it's like a one game that's like, kind of meaningless for a lot of teams um you know like it doesn't you know, why are we doing it but then you get to the uh playoff and you have an offensive and a defensive mvp for both the semifinal and the final like i understand for the final makes sense but that's a lot of trophies that you could have <laughs> yeah so anyway, i i like you when the player i like that's the trophy <laughs> i'm okay with it but when it's a guy well like i've never heard of this dude or a guy who's like i'm like yeah he was okay today but not great and I'm like, what are we doing here? But no, I think it's it's cool for the players though to have that. Like, it's it's cool for the culture for the players to get something like that. But it, from that from an NFL perspective, we're like, this is a little bit weird. We're giving out a little too many a little too many medals and the truest trophy here. But no, from a college perspective, I think I think it's kind of cool to have a little bit more of that. Yeah, no, I just think it because there's and it goes. It's same thing with the Super Bowl MVP. Like sometimes it's like, oh, like I'd love to give it to this player. Like he like he deserves it, and and then other times. Like when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and they gave it to Malcolm Smith, it's like, uh, who, who do we give this to? You know, and it's just like, I, I don't know who played well. So, right, that like you have that happen a lot. And when, with the number of games, um, I think it's funny, but like someone like, I wonder how many Stetson Bennett won last year. Could he have won the conference championship, the playoff, and then the final? Could he have three trophies down the stretch? Um, so, I don't know, but yes, you go back to it. It, it is good for the college players to to get those. But I just I was surprised. I, I forgot that they did it. Um, so yes, they should have given it to Braden Fisk and Jared Verse because they. Were, I would love for them one time give it to an offensive lineman, give it to a defensive. Like how many more sacks did Jared Verse need to get it? You know, like he, I, I I don't know. So I guess it's great. How this? Let's rephrase it, Sam. It was it's great for the quarterback, running back, or wide receiver, whoever wins it. <laughs> yeah. That that's just <laughs> yeah, it is. It. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah. yeah, uh not a entertaining game offensively. It was actually quite brutal to watch uh both offenses play. <laughs> I think if FSU makes it to the playoff, I don't think they score more than 10 points, no matter who's at quarterback. It's just Louisville's defense is not very I, I don't know what they are numbers or metric wise, but you know, Washington and in, in Alabama or not Washington, Alabama, Washington, Michigan defenses will be on another level. So uh, there is that. But yes, yeah, so um, that is Louisville and FSU. Tough game to watch. Good defensive performances. So next, the prospects that we've watched recently: Darius Robinson, defensive lineman, Missouri. Jaquan Shepard, cornerback, Maryland. Denzel Burke, cornerback, Ohio State. And Terrion Arnold, cornerback, Alabama. Let's start with Darius Robinson. Really taking it up a notch. Always had the measurables. But, uh, I mean, like he looks like he was built on a lab. Just you want to check a box of go to an extreme height, weight, speed, length, hand size, too. He's got it. So take me through your report on Darius Robinson at Missouri. Yeah, and those measurements you're, you're referring to from Jim Nagy, six foot five, two ninety, verified, thirty four and seven eighth inch arms, eighty four and five eighth inch wingspan, ten five eighth inch hands. So just like I said, absolute freak. Um, used to play along the interior defensive line for Missouri. They they transitioned him out to edge. They had him lose some weight. Transitioned him to edge this year. So he's got some history playing all along the line for them. 
I give him a fourth round grade. I think he's got an exceptional build with the ability to add or drop weight to fill multiple roles in the NFL. I just don't think his pass rush plan is really diverse enough to win consistently. And part of that has probably been hampered by the fact that he played along the interior defensive line where you win a little bit differently than you do on the edge. So I think there's been a little bit maybe of a hindrance there in terms of developing a true pass rush arsenal. Uh, but some of the positives from him, obviously the exceptional build and the room to add or drop mass as needed. Uh, good, ex- good experience playing along both the interior and the edge. He times the snap really well and maximizes his arm length on first contact with good hand placement. Got really powerful hands for heavy swipes and swats. Converts the speed of power. You see him use a snatch pull, a club swim as well. A nice two-handed swipe. And I'll transition that transition that sometimes into a swim move off of that. And he's able to spin back into the action when he gets too far out field. And he'll also shoot the B-gap when possible. Uh, some negatives, though, I don't think he's truly got a ton of bend. You see him sometimes prefer not to unlock his hips at all. And just t- tends to stay a little bit more, a little bit more vertical if he can. I haven't really seen him try to rush around the outside as much as I would like. And I did watch five games from him, and he really didn't bend around the edge a lot. Maybe once or twice I saw him, but not a ton. Uh, so I'd like to see him drop his hips and dip and bend a little bit more than he has to this point. Uh, he's more of a pocket pusher, in my opinion, right now than a true pocket collapser. Because his bull rush does tend to stagnate at times, and it doesn't work a ton of counters off his rush. So I think he, he needs to improve as a pass rusher, which is primarily why I had him as a fourth-round pick and not a true top 100 player. Although I think with those tools, he could easily be a top 100 pick. Uh, and as a run defender, he's good. And he's good at breaking off of uh, block attempts, good at getting back to seal gaps as well. And he also slips off blocks when guys are pushing vertically because he has the arm length to kind of uh, stack them, keep them locked out, and then kind of let them go and fly past them. Uh, so he does a good job slipping off blocks when you guys are trying to get vertical on him. And if you go back and watch the Tennessee tape from this year, that was phenomenal. Watch him against Gerald Mincy, and he had a tremendous game. I will say that he is sometimes too eager to collapse the line. He'll get sealed inside, and he can be washed down by down blocks. Uh, so I do think that he has some limitations there as a run defender as well. Good player. I just not, I'm just not sure he's going to be a true day one starter for you in the NFL. No, I viewed him more as a rotational player as well, but I just think with those measurables, you go in the third round. Like, I just think it's hard for me. I could, I want to be shocked second. Like, that's just like you can't find guys who look the way he does. I just, I don't think a team pulls the trigger on him in the second. I just think there's, there are 64 players that are too good to have him go that high, but I'd be stunned if he didn't go in the third, even though the two of us, I have a fourth on him as well, do not have him that high. Yeah, we'll go back to like even Zach Harrison from Ohio State who had some similar concerns. Right. And he was a third round pick as well. Like, and that's what you're looking at. It's going to be that kind of player. Right. No, and I think, you know, even with the measurables, it's like, you know, I, I don't see anything more than a rotational piece. And you, know, you can argue a little bit of a tweener type. And then also, why did it take so long for him to have any kind of production? You know, like his tape last year was not that good. Just going through it. And if he was going to declare was, you know, uh, yeah, because once you get past the third round, like his measurables probably get him in the fourth round last year, you know, just because, you know, the, the, the yeah. depth of the class you see with the number of players who go back to school. So it's tough to be like, oh, he would have only been like a fifth round pick last year, but maybe with his measurables, he still would have been a fourth. We're we'll viewing him as a fourth round pick now. Probably goes in the third with the measurables. So, you know, it's just when guys look that way, teams are going to value him. So Darius Robinson from Missouri uh, helped himself. A little bit this year, definitely production-wise, and just his tape's been much better. But those measurables were going to go anyway, so 
that was him. Jaquan Shepard, cornerback, Maryland, a little under the radar player. What were your thoughts there? Yeah, so he's a former Cincinnati player. Uh, he was the 2022 first team all conference player for the Bearcats, transitioned over to Maryland this year. Uh, I think he's a veteran corner with excellent size who loves the crowd receivers throughout the route, but I don't think he's the top speed and twitch to really play in a, an elite coverage role in the NFL. I view him as more of a rotational player, which is why I have a late fourth to early fifth round grade on him. He's also got a ton of special teams experience, and he was a really good special teams player at Cincinnati. So I think that will be an easy path for him to see the field early in his career. Uh, and he played a, a lot of press man at, at Cincinnati as well as a boundary corner. Uh, he's got, sorry, as a, yeah, as a boundary corner at Cincinnati, but he's kind of transitioned to play a little bit more of a mix of zone, off man, soft shoe at Maryland on both sides of the field. Uh, so he's got a little bit more of a coverage, a diverse coverage profile this year versus with the Bearcats. Uh, the arm length is really good. And you see it at the catch point. He's got a tall frame as well. So he's really good at the catch point. Uh, doesn't have an interception in his career. I think the ball skills are good enough to where he's able to locate the ball and make a play on it, but not good enough to where he's able to consistently turn interceptable passes into interceptions. In terms of actually catching the ball, needs to get better in that area, but good at locating the ball and punching it out with the wide receiver. He's good at playing around receivers at the catch point or, play, or high point in the ball and knocking it out. So you really like him in that sense. And he's a really heavy hitter in press coverage, seeing on jams at the line of scrimmage. He likes to get physical. He likes to shut down routes early. And he's good at also pressing routes outside releases along the sideline and kind of pushing the receiver into the boundary and preventing him from really having to play on the ball. Uh, he's comfortable playing with his back to the ball as well, so he can carry guys vertically out of press coverage. Uh, I will, And he's also willing to come downhill too and make some nice plays in the run game. That's something that you don't see from a ton of corners, but he is willing to come down and make the physical tackles. Uh, some of the negatives, he's a high-hip player. Very lean. He can, doesn't have the great recovery speed to really get back in the route if he misses with his two-handed punch and press coverage. And I'll say his footwork and transitions need to be polished up as well. Uh, working out of press, he can be a little bit segmented in his transitions, and that's not great, especially with the high hips. I don't think he has really a lot of twitch or suddenness to mirror routes at the top of the stem. He's not really a sticky corner. He can kind of get a little grabby when guys cross his face, especially, which allows happen to way too often. Uh, I just think that he's not the athletic player with the top speed and agility to really be a, a starter in the NFL. No, I, I agree there. I, I think I testing when you get to day three cornerbacks becomes so important. The grabbiness bugged me a little bit, definitely. I think the recovery speed as well is a concern at times. I like he's going to run a four or five, right? Yeah. He's going to run a four or five. I think he's not going to run faster than that. No. And what, where, what does that make you then? I think that's my real question. There's so many fourth, fifth round corners, but then you have the guys who are six sevens, but then they run a four, three, nine at their pro day. And does that, you know, right? Like it's just, is he a sixth or a seventh rounder, even though we're higher on him just because the testing, it just it gets very crowded on D3 with corners. So that's what I worry about with him is he felt not like it's, it's wrong to say just a guy because he's a good player, but you just there's enough worry there. I don't like grabby corners, the recovery speed as well, as you said, a little high hip. Measurables will be very good. I, just, I don't think he's going to run well enough that he's a fourth. And then afterwards, it's the Wild West. Like, there's nothing wi- more wild 
than the fifth through seventh round because there's no such thing as, oh, why is this player available? He's going to go very soon. You know, that's just not how it works. So I, I do wonder how that impacts him. Yeah, Caillou Blue Kelly was born 57th last year, a fifth round pick. I think that's like the athletic profile we're going to see from him in terms of testing is probably going to be somewhere in that range. No, definitely. That, that's that's actually a good comp. But, you know, we'll see. It. You know, I don't know if he's accepted East West or Senior Bowl yet, but I think playing well in our all star game can help. I just, I just don't think he's going to test well enough to be anything more than a, a fifth round pick who maybe. You, you value depending on your scheme a little bit differently. So, um, yeah, Jaquan Shepard, cornerback, Maryland, definitely under the radar player, not super well-known, but uh, a day three prospect. Next, a guy who was a day three prospect before the season and has really elevated his stock, Denzel Burke, cornerback, Ohio State. Yeah, I gave him a second-round grade. I think he's got the occasional breakdown technique, but his football IQ, ball tracking, and well-rounded physical traits make him a priority day two pick. So someone I, I view as being a top 50 player in this class. He does need to get better in terms of play strength right now if he wants to really contribute against the run and be better in press coverage. He's, there are reps right now in press coverage. He'll get, he'll get knocked back off the line by the receiver. So I think play strength is a major concern for him. I don't think you'll see him in press coverage a lot in the NFL. I think he's going to play zone. Uh, and I think that's not necessarily because he doesn't have the tools to play press man, but because... He is so good at reading and diagnosing the play when it is evolving in front of him and when he's able to read the quarterback. He's so good. You see him trigger on throws. The quarterback hasn't even like drawn back to throw the ball yet, and he sees the eyes of the quarterback moving, and he triggers on the receiver before the quarterback even starts throwing the ball. He's so good at reading that stuff. I think he needs to play in zone coverage just to maximize his capability to be a productive player in the NFL and really get as much ball production from him as possible. Uh, The arm length is good. The height's good. I think the hips are mostly fluid. There's some tightness there, but not enough to really scare me away from him. He's very patient in press coverage as well. Patient footwork, controlled feet as well. Uh, good at pressing outside releases into the sideline. He's got the speed to carry receivers vertically. I don't think he's an elite speedster. I do think there are some times where the recovery speed and acceleration is not great, but I think it's good enough. It's certainly better than what Shepard has. I think it's going to be good enough for you to have the able to stick with most matchups if you have to. Uh, he sees calm and cool with his back to the football, carrying receivers downfield. He's got excellent speed driving and recognizing uh, short routes and kind of closing those down as quickly as possible, limiting yak and all that stuff. Uh, and one thing I, I like about him is his uh, ability to compete at the catch point because he's got good arm length and he's good at reading the receiver's hands. So sometimes we'll have his back to the ball, back to the quarterback, and not really locate his head around to locate the ball, but he's still able to create the pass breakup by playing in the receiver's hands and eyes. And I think that's something you love to see from a guy who's going to be who's going to be running with guys vertically and carrying them that way. He's not always going to be able to get his head around to the football. And he can make one-on-one tackles if needed. It's not really an area I would trust him in too much, frankly. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the most eager guy to play run defense, and he does fall off tackles a lot, but he can get involved when he needs to in key moments. Uh, some of the negatives... He does have a pretty extensive injury history. Not too many serious ones. There are some serious ones dating back to high school, but a lot of nicks and bruises as well in past years. Uh, the ball production has been limited over the past couple of years. He does have a very lean frame. He's not a very twitchy or sudden player. I already mentioned the play strength is a bit of a concern with his ability to get pushed around. Uh, he does get bumped off his coverage again. A little bit of a play strength issue there. And I do think he can get grabby sometimes in man coverage on comeback routes. I would like to see him... Uh, you know, flip the sips a little bit quicker in those situations. 
And the instance I have with him that's probably his biggest concern for me is, again, going back to the receivers crossing his face mid-route. He can be late to recognize that and flip his hips, which leads to him ultimately giving up a decent amount of separation. That's just the recognition thing where if he realizes it's happening, he can flip his hips and carry them and stick with them and stay in phase. But right now, there have been too many instances of him being late to kind of get his hips around and get back into the route. So I think that leaves uh, situations open for him to draw pass interference calls because he's not going to allow the big plays. So he'll just grab and hold and draw penalties that way. He's gotten away with that in college. I don't think he'll get away with that in the NFL. No. I, I think he's a second-round pick. I don't think he's got you're right, the ball production or the measurables to be a round one prospect. The play strength, not there. But everything else is really right. He's, the run defense is they don't pay they don't pay corners necessarily. It's always an added plus, but there are a lot of a lot of good ones who don't uh, aren't willing run defenders. Let's say he can do it. I don't know how much he's willing to do it, but yes, I, I think that second round pick all day probably goes top fifty viewed as a day one starting cornerback, just not a first. Right, he's not going to run like Quinion Mitchell or doesn't have the ball skills he has. He's not, uh, you know, physically as gifted as Kool Aid or Terry and Arnold. I don't think he's just as good at tape and, and the same thing for Wiggins. But like he could be the fifth one off the board early second round. Like that's kind of how high I think he can go. I, I could be missing a player or two, but yeah, I think he's jumped Kalen King, which is crazy to say based off where I was at with them over the summer. Uh, so uh, kudos to him. He, he, he's had a really good season. And that last corner we're going to touch on, Terry and Arnold, I just mentioned. Not to spoil anything, but he's higher for both of us than uh, Denzel Burke is. So take me through your report on the Alabama cornerback. Yeah, he could easily end up being cornerback too for me when all is said and done. I gave him a late first or early second round grade, and you have to understand, I'm not giving out 32 first round grades. So this guy's probably going to be player number, I don't know, 14, 14 to 16, somewhere in there. So he's going to be very high for me. Arnold is a fluid and polished athlete with the ideal frame for an outside cornerback who has shown significant growth over the course of 2023. Uh, I think that his upward trajectory has extended throughout the course of the season. We talked about he didn't play that well against Texas early in the year. But I think down the stretch, he's played much better. And I think that that's going to continue. I think teams are going to see that from a junior and expect him to be able to continue to do that in the NFL and, or a retro sophomore, excuse me. I, I don't think there's anything that, that's shown me to, that's made me believe he's not going to continue to grow and play at a high level if he gets into the league. He's got good special teams experience. He's played out wide and in the slot. Uh, his personality, you listen to his interviews. He's a very engaging guy. I think teams are going to love to talk to him. And it's got a well-built frame that will surpass NFL thresholds with his arm length, really smooth hips in transition spot, as smooth as hips of any corner we've talked about so far today. Uh, he's really patient with your line of scrimmage, working in soft shoe press and does not bite on release fakes. Uh, and really quick motion just to flip his hips and run receivers vertically. He'll press outside releases into the sideline. He's sticky at the top of the stem. He'll close quickly from off-man coverage at the top of the stem too to limit the throwing window. And he's quick to spot and close on comeback routes as well. So just really good route recognition skills right now. Uh, for a corner, again, hasn't doesn't have a ton of experience at this point in his career. Good closing burst as well. And he will anticipate and jump routes, which is something, again, you don't see from a player who's only really two years in his career as a player. Uh, I think he's playing really well at that level. And he is able to carry guys vertically. He does have decent speed. And the ball skills are really impressive too. You saw him go up against Trey Harris from Ole Miss, the tall receiver who has a bunch of contested catches this year. He had two jump balls against Trey Harris. He won both of them, including one in the red zone. Uh, 
So he is a really good player, a really complete player. And he will compete to get off blocks and make plays in the run game as well. And he's a good one-on-one tackler in space. So in terms of being a complete player, he he might be the most complete cornerback in this draft class because he might play the run even better than Nate Wiggins does. Uh, I would still take Wiggins above him because of the coverage skills. But I think that Arnold, you have a you have a good debate to be a top six player here potentially in the draft. Uh, some of the negatives: his backpedal is really mechanical and slow. Oddly enough, uh, he can be not as aggressive as you want to see from him in press coverage. I think he can be a little bit more uh, aggressive in that situation with better hand placement, better timing for his punches. He can play a little bit too far off and off man zone and give too much space underneath. Uh, I think he can tighten his footwork in transitions. Right now, sometimes he gets a little bit too wide with his footwork. And it leads to him losing his balance or losing his step. Uh, we saw some issues against some of the top receivers he played this year where uh, Anaya Smith beat him with a head fake and just blew by him vertically. He didn't have the speed to stick with Xavier Worthy. He had to interfere with Adonai Mitchell at least once or twice in the game. And there was a couple situations where he wasn't the ball wasn't thrown to Mitchell, but Mitchell beat him with his release a couple of times. Uh, and, of course, Xavier Worthy as well had some new releases where he beat him off the line. I think Arnold has improved over the course of the year, but I do question how will he match up against some of the top receivers in the NFL because they did get shook out of his cleats by Jordan Whittington as well. And there's just a couple of games where you look at, like, the Texas A&M game, the Texas game, right? He was not playing at the level that you would hope for him. So I do think there's some inconsistencies there. I'm just willing to buy into the, the projected growth for Arnold to be a long-term starter in the NFL. Yeah, the only concern I have is not necessarily anything to do with plays. Like, how high would you feel comfortable taking him? Because I think Brugler had him at 13, and based off of your rankings and the position he plays, yes. It's not, I just, I loved his value at 21, but like, once you get to, he's creeping close to the top 10, and you know, that's really high. And I just think, you know, weak corner class, he's going to, go really high and you know the the tape right the the texas tape is the concern and those are the two best receivers uh i mean like uh, obviously uh lsu as well but like i i think those are two of the best receivers he played but he he's improved a lot over the course of the season and he's at a point now right where i'm comfortable taking him really high in the draft and he'd be my corner too as well i think he and wiggins are above kool-aid i i think that they're actually I would tier them together and then put Kool-Aid um, in a tier by himself as the third one. But I think, yeah, I, th- I think he's going to test well. He's fluid athlete, has the measurables. There, yeah, it's just the only you know concern is how high would I feel comfortable taking him? And if it's like at 12th, I, I don't know how like, I would really have to need a corner because I, I don't know how much I'd love to do that. And then the other thing being just the Texas tape wasn't great. Yeah, they're, they're going to be four or five receivers I might have ranked above him right. in the draft. And there might be three or four tackles. Like, it's it's going to be difficult for him because it'll be the value. Again, like you said, if you're really in a corner and Nate Wiens is gone, then he's like, you get him. Because there's a drop-off between Cormac 2 and Cormac 3 in this draft class, potentially. Uh, but, and it's going to be a rare position in this class, but... Uh, there's going to be better players left on the board, probably yeah. wherever you're, where wherever he's going to get taken. There's going to be better players taken after him, probably. No, that yeah, that, that's the only tough thing, right? And you need a corner. Corner is a difficult position to find. Like wide receiver, like you can survive with a lot of players out there. If you can get a solidified 
Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be like that true lockdown corner one, but you know, the NFL would project a good starting cornerback. You know, however you want to term that. You know, you get that in the first round, right? I just, yeah, I think tackle-wise, I'd always prefer the tackle, especially this year. I think the corner value is definitely on day two. But if I'm sitting there at 15, I need a cornerback pretty badly. My tackles are set. I'd feel pretty comfortable that, all right, maybe, you know, there are other players, right? Like, you know, it goes back to like Christian Gonzalez went 17th last year, you know? It's just frustrating. Uh, to think about, but Emmanuel Forbes went 16th, and I'd take uh, Arnold any day over him. So I, I just think it depends on the class. Uh, last question on him Deontay Banks. I think that's an interesting one. Who are you higher on? Oh, Arnold, I think. I think Arnold for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like Banks, but I think Arnold for me was like from the, I had to grow in Banks a bit. My first introduction to him was he's a good player, he's a top under player, probably top 50 player, but I did not love him the way I liked Arnold right away. Gotcha. Yeah. No, just interesting. And that's a good gauge. And he went, in the, I think he went 24th to the Giants, and he said, as a, a good enough rookie season in comparison to some others. Obviously, you know, when Gonzalez was healthy and Witherspoon was there, the two best, and yeah, you know, Forbes has struggled a little, but a good gauge there. Arnold is a better prospect. So, yeah, that was Darius Robertson, defensive lineman in Missouri, Jaquan Shepard, corner Maryland, Denzel Burke, corner Ohio State, has really improved this season, and then cornerback to Darian Arnold from Alabama. So thank you for listening to the Draft Report. Catch us every Wednesday talking all things NFL Draft release.